Good morning. Well, we're going to dive into God's Word this morning and uh, ask Him to give us a glimpse of His glory. If you have a Bible and you want to open it up to Genesis chapter 11, <clears throat> we're continuing through our series, Says Who? That refers to life's question that comes up again and again when we basically need to ask, How am I supposed to live my life? Who gets to decide? Who's in charge? That's kind of all captured in that question. And in order to really answer that question, you have to answer some really foundational questions first, and that's what Genesis does, answers those questions for us. So Genesis chapter 11, we're going to dive right in. Begin at verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated eastward, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen, or asphalt, or tar, for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. <clears throat> so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Interesting. Let me begin just by uh, noting the obvious. What is described here is a big deal. In fact, it would be hard to overstate just how big a deal this is. What God does here in this account, this changes human history in a big way forever. I mean, you just think about it. Just think about it for a minute. How significant is it that there are things, there are such things as nations, that there are ethnic groups, that there are groups with their own culture, their own traditions, their own governments? How significant is that? How, how big of a role does that have in our world? Well, according to Genesis, the reason we have those things is because of this confusion of languages that God brought about at Babel. You see, after this, just, just think about how this would work. Those people who spoke the same language then, they would tend to cluster together. And people who didn't speak the same language would tend to separate. That's just how it would work, right? If you said hand me a hammer, and the person said, Nihama, 
you're not going to work together very well because you have no idea what each other is saying. So there's this, this beginning to separate, this beginning to disperse, this beginning now to cluster. And those who spoke the same language would cluster. They would begin to intermarry. And they would begin to develop unique cultural and even physical characteristics as each gene pool became separated from all of the others. Now, you just think about all the ways that that has affected history. All of the differences in language, all of the differences in nationalities. You just think about the conflicts. You think about the wars that have come about as a result of all these national ethnic differences. So what God did here was huge. And the question is, why did he do it? Why did he do this? And what really does it have to do with us? Why do we need to know this? I mean, it's interesting, right? If we didn't know this, we would speculate, well, I wonder how all these differences came about and so on. But we don't necessarily need to know this, or we might think that. As you may have noticed, Genesis and really the whole Bible doesn't answer all of our questions, does it? Do you have any questions you wish the Bible would answer that it doesn't? I mean, I noticed that back in chapter 3 when we're reading along and we get to the temptation story of the Adam and Eve, and, and all of a sudden there's this serpent, and he's talking, and you're thinking, wait, who is this? How does he know how to talk? How come the woman's not freaked out? And the Bible says, you don't need to know. <laughs> you might want to know, but you don't need to know. And the whole Bible's like that. It tells us what we need to know, not necessarily what we want to know. It's not written just to satisfy our curiosity. It's, it's written to change us. So why do we need to know about this? Well, to get at that, I want to consider three questions with you this morning. Okay, three questions about Babylon. If you have a note sheet, you might want to haul that out and take some notes. Question number one. What were these people doing wrong? Well, what's the big deal? Why does God... It seems like something... They must be doing something wrong, right? It says they wanted to build a tower, a city with a high tower reaching up to the heavens. Well, what's wrong with that? Is God against cities? Does God not like tall buildings? Does he not want people to cooperate, to work together, to accomplish things, to live in harmony with one another? Well, no, that's not it. Okay, the key to understanding what's happening here is to read it in light of the rest of the book. Because the author of Genesis is not telling us history, like I said, just to satisfy our curiosity. He's not just pulling random facts and telling them, oh, here, you'll find this interesting, you'll find this interesting. No, he's telling us things in order to make points, in order to teach us lessons. And one of the main lessons we have seen so far in this book is how to know what is good and what isn't and how to experience what is good. This book is very clear that God is the one who defines what's good. We saw that in the first two chapters. Again and again, God makes something, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And God is the 
the one who says for the first time something's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And then he creates woman and says, okay, now mankind is the way I want them. So God is the one who determines what's good. And what is more, God is the one who provides what's good. Huge lesson in the first couple chapters. Well, then we get to chapter 3. And what happens? Man decides he doesn't want God to decide what's good. He wants to decide for himself. That's that whole knowledge of good and evil thing. He wants to decide for himself what's good, and he wants to get what's good for himself, by himself, apart from God. Key distinction. And in trying to get the good apart from God, what happens? He fails miserably. And not only does he not obtain greater good, he ends up forfeiting the good that he had, the good that God gave him. And instead of life, he finds death. Instead of blessing, he experiences God's justice, God's curse. So that's the background that's been playing out when we come to this. Now, in light of that, we need to ask as we read this account, is it possible that once again we have an example of people trying to decide for themselves what's good apart from God and to get good, to obtain good apart from God? And the answer is, of course, that's exactly what's going on here. What is it that they want? Well, it says they want to construct a city and a tower reaching the heavens for two reasons. Did you notice them? Notice the two reasons. They want to make a name for themselves, and they want not to be scattered over the whole earth. All right, let's think about those one at a time and see how those things line up with what we know of God's intentions. First, they want to make a name for themselves. What does that mean? What does it mean if you want to make a name for yourself? I mean, if I, if I get up here and teach, and my goal is to make a name for myself, what am I after? I'm after your praise. I'm after my honor. I'm after my reputation. That's what I'm preoccupied with. I'm concerned about my glory. And that's exactly what you do if you're interested in making a name for yourself, however you might go about doing that, whether in your career or, or whatever, if you're all about making a name for yourself, you're all about your reputation, your honor, your glory. Is that why God created us? Is that how we experience fulfillment? Is that how we experience satisfaction and joy? By putting the focus on who we are and what we can do? And how great we are? Well, that seems to be the way we often think, isn't it? But according to Genesis, what were we created to be? What were we created to be? God's image. God's image. The image of God. Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We were made to be mirrors, so to speak, for God. 
to display God's glory, God's goodness, God's beauty. We were made to be mirrors for God. We were not made to look in mirrors at ourselves. We're to display His beauty. We're to live out His goodness. That's how we experience lasting satisfaction. Have you noticed you don't find a lot of satisfaction looking in the mirror? Because that's not where it comes from. We were made to behold and enjoy beauty and goodness and glory, but not our own. God's glory. And this, we see this unfold more and more as the Bible goes on and explains it and makes it more explicit. Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And if you've just tasted God's glory, you read that and you think, ah, oh, yes, that's, that's what we want. That's what we need. We need the glory of the Lord. We need to see it. We were, we were created to display God's goodness. We were created to enjoy His goodness in one another. Do you know that's why we exist as a church? Say, well, I thought we were here to make disciples. Exactly. What's a disciple? It's someone who is preoccupied with the glory of God and seeking to enjoy and live out and display the glory of God in their life. This is why Jesus told us to make disciples of all nations. This is what I was talking about last week when I said that this plan goes all the way back to the beginning. This is not just a New Testament thing after plan A didn't work out. Jesus told us to make disciples of all nations because God is doing through that the multiplying of His glory. See, as we receive Christ and we experience connection now with God that we didn't have and we experience His forgiveness, and as His Spirit dwells within us and begins to transform us, what's happening? He's making us more and more like Jesus God's doing that. This is why we read our Bibles. This is why we pray. This is why we need relationships with one another to encourage one another. This is why we share the gospel, the good news with others, so that the image of God will be spread throughout the earth. Spreading the glory of God. You know, sometimes we, we shrink the gospel down and we make it, it's, it's just all about, you know, so that you can get forgiven of your sins so that you can go to heaven someday when you die. There's so much more to it. There's so much more to it. Spreading the gospel, spreading the glory of God. So, when these people here in Genesis 11, when it says they want to make a name for themselves... They're rejecting the very reason for their existence. That's not why we're here. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. So get it. Instead of finding their significance in God, they are seeking significance in themselves. And we all thirst for significance. We all thirst for glory. We all thirst for that. But instead of finding it in God, they're looking for it in themselves. Okay, now what about their other desire? What's the other thing they want? They want not to be scattered across the earth. What's that all about? 
Okay, if their first desire is an attempt to find significance in themselves, the second desire is an attempt to find security in themselves. Let's build a big, big city where we can all be safe together in one place. We don't want to risk going anywhere else. We're just going to stay here. Well, how does that line up with God's intentions? All right, back in chapter 1, verse 28. It says this, God blessed them, that's the first man and woman, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God's design here is that man, his image, his image on earth would fill the earth, rule over the rest of creation as his image. In other words, as his representatives. To rule over the earth the way God himself would do it. All right, well, that was before chapter 3 and the fall into sin. What about after that? Well, okay, let's go to chapter 9. This is after the flood. Verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Sound familiar? It's It's the same mandate. It's the same command. Fill the earth. Now, I'm not an expert in physics. But it seems to me that in order to fill the earth, you have to spread out. Right? You can't just stay in one place. These people don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. And they thought they had a better idea. Well, we'll be happier if we do the opposite of what God says. And it's so foolish. It's so foolish because here's the thing. What God had told them to do, he told them for their own good. Did you catch that? Notice, how do I know that? Well, because both in chapter 1 and in chapter (coughs) 9, it says, notice what it says, God blessed them and said. See that? God blessed them and said, do this. In other words, what he told them was a blessing. You could translate it, he blessed them by saying to them what he said was a blessing. It was meant to bless them. It's just like when parents tell their children to eat their dinner. You know, their intention is blessing, right? Your intention as a parent is not to torture your kids even though that's what they think you're doing. Parents want their children to be healthy and happy. I have yet to meet the parent who says, I love it when my kids are upset. I just love it when they cry and complain. I just, that makes me so happy. No, parents want their kids happy and healthy. And when are children happier? When they're well-fed or when they're hungry? Which, would you rather ride in a car filled with children who are hungry or well-fed? I rest my case. When God tells us, okay, when God tells us to do something, or when God tells us not to do something, His intention is blessing. Always. And we are so prone to think we know better. 
It's so pathetic. And I'm as guilty as anybody. I mean, God says, here, do this. This is what I want you to do. And we think, oh, God's not trying to bless me. God's trying to keep me from having fun. God's trying to mess me up. God's trying to keep me, you know, unhappy. What? That's so crazy. But we're so prone to think we know better. God gives us all these instructions. And we read them and we go, I don't think so. Forgive people who hurt me. Love my enemies. Reserve sex for marriage. Give generously. Seek first the kingdom of God. No, I think I'll be happier doing it my way. It's so foolish. It's just so foolish. God's intention is blessing. And yet these people thought that they would be happier trusting in themselves, finding security in their own achievements, finding significance in their own glory, Instead of relying on their Creator to bless them, man, they're just determined to bless themselves. That's what they were doing wrong. That's what they were doing wrong. They were seeking their good apart from God. Seeking their good apart from God. It never works. So, second question why did God do what He did? I love this. It says God came down to see what they were up to. Did you pick up the holy sarcasm there? Hey, let's build this huge city. In fact, let's build this tower. It's going to be so big, it's going to reach up to the heavens. And the author of Genesis wants to show us how ridiculous this is for people to ignore God and be all impressed with himself. So he describes God who doesn't need to go anywhere to see anything, right? He doesn't have to. But he says, so God came down way, way, way down and said, oh, okay, I see it now. (laughs) That big tower you're all impressed with. And then God confuses their languages, and by doing that, He divides humanity into nations and tribes and people groups. And why did he do that? Why did he do that? Well, let me just give you a hypothetical situation and ask you what you would do. Let's say you're uh, you're at home, and you're either a parent or you're a grandparent, or maybe you're babysitting. So you've got these kids that are all doing stuff. And there's kind of a lull, you know, they kind of get themselves involved in a game or something, and it's, you know, and you think, oh, I'm going to just take a minute here, and I'm just going to, I'm going to take a break. So you get yourself a cup of tea or coffee or something or soda, and you sit there, and you're just relaxing. Then you, you look out the back window, and all of a sudden you notice one of the kids, eight years old, and carrying a can of gasoline and a box of matches. <laughs> what do you do? What do you do? You think to yourself, well, this will not end well. (laughs) You go and you put a stop to it. 
Because you're a big killjoy, right? No. You put a stop to it for everybody's good. That's exactly what God does here. Because even though they can't reach heaven, they can still accomplish big things. In fact, God says, nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. They have incredible power. See, that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. People can do amazing things. Think of all that's been invented in the last couple centuries. Think of how amazing these things are that people can do, the the incredible, powerful things we can do, which would be glorious if we would only do good. And that's not how it is, is it? In fact, I was trying to think, can you, is there, is there possibly even one, even one thing that humanity has made with power to do good that we have not then corrupted and used to do evil? Is there even one thing? I doubt it. Why? Because we refuse to let God define good and evil for us. So, God created national divisions to limit man's ability to do evil, to unite for evil. Now, we're obviously capable of much evil still. Just check the news, you know, uh, read the history books. But it would be far worse, apparently, much, much worse if the whole world were just easily able to unite all of its resources, sharing the same language, the same culture, the same values, we would do even far worse things. The very things that make it difficult, the very things that frustrate us because it makes it difficult for nations to cooperate to accomplish good, those same things make it difficult for nations to cooperate for evil. And as long as people resist God, reject his leadership, we are divided for our own good. But there's another reason why God did this. There's another reason. Because one day, humanity will be united for good. And Jesus is the one who will do it. In fact, he's doing it right now among those who follow him, among those who trust him. His power to change us from the inside out, that's what enables us to overcome all of our differences for good. Revelation 5.9, we get a glimpse of the future. The heavenly choir worships Jesus, the Lamb of God, and it says, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God. Look at this. For God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. They shall reign. That's what God intended all along. In spite of all of our differences, whatever they are, whatever our differences are, Jesus is going to unify people from every nation, every tribe, every people, and he's going to unite them to reign on earth for the glory of God. 
what God had in mind at the very beginning will finally happen because of Jesus. And the world will see that His greatness is greater than all of our differences. You see, folks, this is why unity in the church matters now. This is why unity matters. You, you, you can't read the New Testament and miss it. Over and over again, be unified, be unified. Overcome your differences. Don't let things like racial and ethnic and cultural and economic differences separate you. Why? Because what we have in Jesus is more important than anything that would separate us, anything that would divide us. Jesus is the one who overcomes all of our differences, not just at a superficial level, but at a heart level. Jesus turns enemies into family. And so God has brought about these national divisions not only to limit evil, but to glorify the greatness of His Son. The sin of Babel will cause the glory of Jesus to shine even brighter as he overcomes all of this. Okay, final question. How does this apply to us? Well, when we were reading and talking about what these people did, did you happen to see any of, anything of yourself in that? Because we have the same tendencies. I do. We all want security, right? We, we want to know we're going to be okay. But just like them, we look for it in the wrong places. We look for it in, in people. We, we, we want to try to find that perfect person who's going to give us all the love we need to feel finally secure. Oh, I'm okay. I've got this person who loves me no matter what. Or we try to find security in money. Or we try to find it in success. Or we try to find it in a perfect house in a safe neighborhood somewhere. Or we try to find it in an alarm system. Is that where security is found? No. Ultimately, only God can give us true security. Because no matter how much people love you, they're still going to let you down at times. Hope that's not a news flash to anybody. People will let you down. And, you know, it doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in. It doesn't matter how great your alarm system is. You're still vulnerable. There's no way you can find perfect safety in this world. And besides, Jesus did not call those who trust him and love him to be safe. He called us to follow him and to take the risks that we have to take in order to accomplish his purposes. Here's his promise. I love it. Romans 8. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor the things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's security. And that's the only place we find it. Only God can give us that kind of security. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. If you're in Christ... That's where your security is found. Okay, so what about significance? We want that too, right? We want to know that we matter. We want to know that, our, that, we, <laughs> that we matter, that there's a reason that, that, that my life matters. And just like the people at Babel, we can think that the way to be significant is to make a name for ourselves. 
You know, achieve great things so that people will admire us. How we love to be admired. Tell us how wonderful we are. It doesn't work. Because it doesn't matter how much you achieve. It doesn't matter how much people admire you. It doesn't give you a sense of satisfaction that truly lasts. You know, it's going to be, all right, well, that was today. Now, tomorrow, i got to achieve something else to get some more admiration because my admiration tank has a hole in it and it keeps leaking. My, my sense of security, my sense of significance just leaks. I need more. Well, I can't get enough. You always have to do one more thing. Why? Because we weren't meant to make much of ourselves. We were meant to make much of God. And it's in making much of God that we find the significance we thirst for. Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. How awesome is it that Jesus cares about your joy and that wants your joy to be full? Let's put it all in one simple sentence. The lesson from this story for us. You ready? If you seek your good apart from God, you cannot succeed. If you seek your good in God, you cannot fail. If you seek your good apart from God, you cannot succeed. If you seek your good in God, you can't fail. I think that's relevant, even though this happened a long time ago. Can I invite you to bow with me for prayer? Just take a moment and do a little self-examination. Maybe ask yourself about those two issues, security and significance. Where, where are you seeking to find it? You're trying to make a name for yourself. You're trying to accomplish great things. You're trying to keep yourself safe. Or are you just trusting God and, and all that He is for us in Christ? All that He has done for us? All that He's promised to do for us? And that's where you know you're going to find true security, true significance. Just living life to be a mirror to reflect the glory of God in the face of Christ instead of trying to look in mirrors and find satisfaction that way. If you're here today and you have yet to take that first step of saying yes to Jesus Christ, His death on the cross on your behalf, receiving His forgiveness, receiving Him into your life, that His Spirit might indwell you and begin to transform you from the inside out so that you can you can now begin to reflect the glory of God and, and, and pursue that and, and enjoy that. Um, 
It starts when we stop trying to do it our own way and say, okay, I can't. I'm not good enough. I can't make myself good enough. I just need Jesus. And today you could turn to him and just ask him for the new life that he wants to give you. And for those of us who have taken that step, maybe let's just take a minute and we'll pray. And, and uh, you can quietly pray, whatever it is. Lord, maybe you've seen something that you need to just bring to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I've been trying to find significance. I've been trying to find safety in other things. Help me find it in you. So just take a moment and, and pray whatever it is uh, you need to talk to God about. I'll give you a minute and then I'll pray. Father, thank you for your great plan to one day unite in Jesus all of us from every tribe, tongue, and nation to, to know and be caught up in and reflect your glory. Thank you for that wonderful hope and thank you that you will make it happen. Lord, you are glorious. It is your glory that we thirst for, that we long for. Help us stop looking for it in other places. Lord, just help us as we go out from this place to remember that your aim is to bless and not to curse. May we trust you May we walk in your way of blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.